she lost her campaign manager, she lost her pollster, media. And, you know, I guess in Washington, we overstate the value of those people and what they can do, consultants, et cetera. But like, no one really wants to touch her. Democrats don't want to touch her. Republicans don't want to touch her. And I think she's going to struggle to find a good team on top of all of it. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, February 16th. Today, Tara Palmieri is here to talk about third-party pipe dreams. In Arizona, incumbent Senator Kirsten Sinema is so far running for re-election as an independent. Does she have a lane, though, in our polarized partisan environment? And Tara and I dig into a similar question about the 2024 presidential race. Is there a credible third-party challenger out there? Or is this just a centrist fantasy we gab about every four years? We hear about all that and more in today's episode of Powers the Beat. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Thursday, everybody. I'm joined today by Tara Palmieri to talk brass knuckle politics, pure campaign stuff. How you doing, Tara? <laughs> Good. How are you, Peter? I'm good. Hey, it feels like there's going to be actually a bunch of hot Senate races in 2024. Democrats are playing yeah. a lot of defense, actually, next cycle. But it looks like one of the hottest ones is going to be in Arizona, um, and not just because of the temperature out there in the Southwest. It's because there's going to be a three-way race, possibly, come November of that year, because Kirsten Cinema, the controversial Democrat turned independent, so far, seems like she's running for re-election, but she's pissed off the left so much that Congressman Rube Magallego has announced a campaign for the Democratic nomination. He'll probably have a clear path. And then, you know, Republicans, maybe they'll have Blake Masters, maybe they'll have Carrie Lake, whatever. You're going to have a pure Republican, independent Democrat race, it looks like at this point. My question with this race is, who's the spoiler for Democrats? Is it Kirsten Cinema or is it actually Ruben Gallego? You wrote about this for Puck, and it's a it's kind of a catch twenty two, right? You know, Democrats would say Kirsten Cinema is the spoiler, right? They don't want her to run. They were planning to primary her. She would never have survived a Democratic primary. Ergo, why she moved over to the independent lane, and she's obviously thinking about her own political interests and. You know, there's sort of a theory in Washington, like there's no way she gets more than like 15% of the votes. 
12%, she won't run. And it's like, I have been told from people who are very close to her that she is going to run and she's raising money. And she just had a fundraiser with Steve Schwartzman from Blackstone in Palm Beach about like, I think two weeks ago. Um, And she's taken, I think, $800,000 in the last quarter, according to her FEC filing. And she's got $8 million in the bank. She's got a veritable war chest. And she's going to run, even if it's a spoiler for the Democrats. It's pretty clear. There isn't a clear path to victory for her. But... mm -hmm. She'll certainly take a lot of Democratic voters. She might take some Republicans too, but it's, it seems almost impossible for her to win. It's more possible that she will hurt a Democratic challenger. Although, yeah. I guess if the Republicans field a candidate that is just like so right wing, so too far to the right, you know, maybe there's a situation in which Cinema could win or it could help Gallego. Mm-hmm. Unclear. Mm-hmm. There was one Arizona strategist who came up with a way in which Cinema wins. But it was the only person that I could really find that would could really map out her path. But yeah, I mean, there's so many, you write about this again, but there's so many variables ahead of time. You're right. It could be the case that Blake Masters gets the nomination again, and he's too controversial. And then Ruben Gallego, who's not like super hardcore left, by the way, he just feels like he's more of a Democrat at this point than Kirsten Sima. Maybe she can cobble together the votes, but it seems like in a partisan moment, that it's just really hard to cull together a bunch of votes when both parties are pretty polarized at this point. So what's Gallego's strategy then? I mean, Arizona is pretty independent, though. Um, mm-hmm. According to their registration, they have 35% Republicans, so there's an advantage, 31% Democrats, and no party or independent is 34%, and that's their largest growing block. But... I think when the rubber hits the road, these people generally vote for one party or another because they think that their votes Mm -hmm. can be wasted. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the polling shows Gallego tied with Carrie Lake in a three-way and Cinema getting nine points from Lake and 14 points from Gallego Mm -hmm. and ending up with 24%. There's another poll showing Cinema just getting 14% of the vote. Lake still wins 41%. Gallego comes in a close second at 40%. It's just not good for him if she's in the race. And it just doesn't seem like there's a way in which they both survive. It's kind of a suicide mission pack. The best case scenario is that one of them doesn't run. But I was talking about that Arizona strategist's name is Chuck uh, Coughlin. Mm-hmm. And he said, the way that cinema can win is if you get 25% of Republicans, 25% of Democrats, and 60% of independents, that comes to 43% of the vote. And that's enough to win. Mm-hmm. But he also acknowledges that, I think... She could maybe do that with Republicans, but she's going to get pummeled by Democrats who apparently loathe her in the state. And it would be hard for her to even get 25% of Democrats at this point. I mean, she's been seen as a spoiler for the party on minimum wage, on a bunch of things. Filibuster, she she refuses to change. So there's a lot of reasons why the Democratic Party, the base of the party, really does not like her. And it would it would really be hard for her to pull Democrats, frankly. But still, the, like the floor in either party, Republican or Democrat, is 40 to 45 percent. So it's really mm-hmm. hard to see a path for Cinema and Gallego in the race. I mean, even Blake Masters, I was told he didn't want to get into the race. So it was a head to head with Cinema, But he saw, you know what, my chance of winning is if it's a three way race. So I actually covered this race uh, for ABC mm-hmm. News, the Cinema and McSally race mm-hmm. when Cinema was first elected. Yeah. And there wasn't really a lot of like enthusiasm for Kirsten Cinema. I just think that Martha McSally was really unpopular. And that was a time when people were starting to turn on Trump. It was 2018. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, exactly. So I don't know that she has this, like, she's got to do a lot of work on the ground in Arizona, basically. Oh, a thousand percent. I mean, the, the grassroots will be very, very, very hardcore against her. Um, Gallego obviously has an appeal to Hispanic voters. He's ex-military. Like, he doesn't fit neatly into whatever woke left portrait mm. that the, the Republicans or even cinema are going to portray him as. Um, he's really good at tweeting, um, but we have to see if he's good at a statewide campaign. You know, mm. signs point to probably at this point. But yeah, like Blake Masters got, even being like super weirdo Peter Thiel dude who liked to, you know, shoot German, you know, pistols for campaign ads, got 46% of the vote. You know, like there's yeah. still, you know, if Cinema and Guy go... won. Carrie like almost won too. Of course, of course. That. But yeah, she almost won. But yeah, even like I, Data for Progress, they're progressive um, polling firm, but pretty good. You know, they put out a poll in January and even among moderates, moderate Democrats rather, you know, only 30% of moderates had a favorable or like kind of favorable view of her. Most of them had an unfavorable view. Beyond these early poll numbers, horse race stuff between the Republican, Democrat and cinema like that, mm. that kind of stuff is more challenging for her because she is an incumbent. She already has a reputation and a lot of people in the state have an unfavorable opinion of her. So she's got to dig herself out of that hole while also fighting a two war front. And it's just really tough for her. Um, you said that she had a fundraiser a few weeks ago with Steve Schwartzman um, and you wrote that she's a prolific fundraiser. And that's always an interesting dynamic in politics where you're a really good fundraiser and you're good in the room with like rich people and lobbyists, but you don't have a ton of <laughs> support on the ground. Where mm. does her money come from? Like, why is she so influential? Is it just because she's an incumbent? Like, why is she such a good fundraiser? Because she's also like around the press, like she kind of runs away from the press a lot. So I feel like a lot of us don't have a good view of like what she's like personally. Well, she raised a lot of money from private equity. She made sure that that loophole, that tax loophole, did, wasn't included in the Inflation um, Reduction Act, which mm -hmm. saved them a lot of money. So Blackstone is a <laughs> private equity company. Pharma. She's been seen as an ally of big pharma. She's been against some prescription drug pricing negotiations. She's been seen you know, as cozy with those industries, and she raises a lot of money from them. You know, It's interesting because when she became an independent, she kind of fell into no man's land in Washington, she lost her campaign manager. She lost her pollster, media. And, you know, I guess in Washington, we overstate the value of those people and what they can do, consultants, et cetera. But, like, <laughs> no one really wants to touch her. Democrats don't want to touch her. Republicans don't want to touch her. Called a bunch of them. No one really wants to work for her. And I think she's going to struggle to find a good team on top of all of it. Mm. Maybe she doesn't need a team. She's just used her firebrand, viral, FU ring pictures, but she's definitely going to have some organizational issues as well. And it just seems like she's playing a game of chicken with the Democratic Party right now. That yeah. can't really push her yeah. one way or another because they need her vote. They need her to keep caucusing with Democrats. Exactly. And like senators, uh, incumbents rather, like usually get the benefit of the doubt or at least some like quiet mm -hmm. allyship from their fellow <laughs> incumbents and senators. Chuck Schumer needs her vote. So he's not going to be yeah. like, get the fuck out of here. Like even though, like even when she moved to become an independent, it was just notable that you didn't see a lot of senators on the Democratic side attacking her for it because, you know, they have such a fragile majority. Hey, Tara, when we come back, I want to ask you about the possibility of a cinema-like figure running as a third-party candidate for president against Biden and the Republican nominee in 2024.
Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Welcome back, everyone. Um, Tara, you have a piece up also. Uh, the headline is the Never Trump or Biden caucus sees its opening. And you sort of you talk to Reed Galen, who, you know, former Republican ish now doing Lincoln Project third party stuff about like yeah. what the temperature is like, the appetite rather for a third party challenger in a 2024 race. And you you also write and you've covered no labels a lot. That's the sort of in my opinion, at least, sort of like fantastical, you know, centrist 
wish casting group in Washington that still managed to raise a shitload of money for problem solvers uh, and, you know, maybe a Larry Hogan type who could run for president or yeah. Joe Manchin or whatever. Like, where do they think these voters are? Like, because they really just don't seem to exist at this point. Like, I, like, I get that people don't like Biden or Trump. I get that people don't like the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. But history, recent history especially, shows there's not really an appetite for this. Well, it's not so much that it's an appetite, that people just don't want to feel like they're throwing away their votes. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where Kirsten Cinema might have a problem as well, running as an independent. Independents, people say they're independent, but then they tend to vote one side or another because they want to feel like they have a say in the democratic process. They might have to hold mm -hmm. their nose while they vote for Trump or Biden, but they tend to not want to vote independent. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's like you look at all the polling. Overwhelmingly, a majority of Republicans and Democrats do not want a Biden and Trump rematch. And so that's why No Labels is calling it an insurance policy. And they're trying, they're, they've raised $70 million to get their name on the ballot in all 50 states. And yes, they say this is the moment, right? And what Reid is saying is that, and I mean, Reid comes from the Lincoln Project. They don't want to reelect Trump. And I think they're afraid that this third party unity ticket, even if it has a Republican and a Democrat, they've been poll testing Larry Hogan, Joe Manchin, Elisa Murkowski, some sort of mashup of that. And the truth is, is that he believes that they will take overwhelmingly from Democrats and that 8%, he thinks he'll take 8% of voters from Democrats and 2% from Republicans. He believes that Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line, Republicans will vote mm -hmm. for Republicans. And there may be 2% of like, soft Republicans out there that hate Trump, but he believes those are the people or three or 4% of them are the reason that Trump didn't win in 2020. Those people are, so, yeah, those people are Democrats now. Um, you know, I think it's a lot are of like suburban. Though? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's a lot of, sub well, suburban women are like firmly Democrats. I mean, I would say yeah. suburban men uh, were at the definitive swing voters in mm. 2020, um, you know, and we like the, the challenge for Biden would be keeping those people in the mm. fold. But you know, I think the throwing away the vote thing is real. I mean, like the moment isn't now for no labels. Howard Schultz tried this <laughs> back in the 2020. No appetite Reed for it. For Again, he, oh, shocking. I yeah. am shocked that these consultants work for really rich people who can cut checks. That's so interesting. You know, I, <laughs> it's funny, like Ross Perot got 20% of the vote, 18% of the vote back in like 92. That That's really the modern high watermark for a third party challenger. At that time though, there were like, Ticket splitters, those existed. You know, you had Reagan Democrats and whatnot, and, and Bill Clinton, like, did the whole New South thing. And, like, you know, he was both, like, parties were a little more scrambled. There were more independents, and Pro ended up pulling pretty evenly from both of them. It just seems like now, I wrote about this a couple years ago for Vanity Fair, if you want to be an insurgent and an outsider, the way to do it is what Bernie and Trump did. It's go run through the channel, run through the party, and break it up. Neither of those two were... Democratic insiders in any way. In Trump's case, he didn't abide by traditional Republican orthodoxy. And he became the outsider by running within the primary. There's just not enough voters <laughs> to win. It's not, and again, like the, the bigger picture here is just structural. Like you don't have to win a third of the popular vote. You have to win enough electoral college states. And right. maybe, maybe there's a battleground state you could pick up here and there, but- Outside of that, it's just extremely difficult to get to 
270 electoral votes uh, as a he also, third party. Yeah, he also made an interesting observation, too, about like no labels get, spending all this money to get their party or on the ballot, right? Or their party line on the ballot, even though it's uh-huh, not really uh-huh. a party. But they can't just put a person on the ballot. Like they have to hold a convention themselves as well. It has to be an open process. You know, they can't just say, like, Larry Hogan pulls the best. We put Larry Hogan. That's an in-kind contribution. That's what Reed is arguing. I'm not, you know, an election lawyer. I don't know. But it kind of makes right. sense, right? Yeah. The other point, too, that he made is that, okay, say some, I don't know, pipe dream had happened somehow, right? And you end up getting the most electoral votes and it goes to Congress. Who's to say that that they'll even confirm that? This new guy who's not a part of either party. Like, they would barely <laughs> confirm yeah. Biden. You know what I mean? Right, right, like, right. Like, it's just, there's, like, anything can happen, but I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's an idea that's raising a ton of cash, just don't even know if it's executable. Yes. I think, you know, where no labels can most spend their money is electing problem solvers in Congress. <laughs> you know, that seems to be a place where you could put some IE money and, and put some fundraising dollars to work and hopefully get some people in Congress who are more interested in getting shit done and not being, like, partisan flamethrowers. It just doesn't seem plausible at this point at the presidential level. Tara, thank you so much. Talk soon. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.